Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Welcome to those of you who are watching on Church 307, uh, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. Let me set up today's message. We just come out of At The Movies, and At The Movies is a lot of invitation. Come join the Christian faith. It'll set you free. It'll make your life better. It is a good thing. It is a worthwhile thing to be a part of. But this message is kind of a next step. Okay, if I decide to put my faith in Christ, if I receive the freedom that he gives, what do I do with that freedom? It's kind of a next step lesson, next step Message And so uh, in America, we like to talk a lot about the benefits of freedom, of being set free, but we don't talk a lot about what does that freedom require of us? What, what do I need to do now that I have been set free? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about here today. Uh, I want to introduce you to somebody. His name is Michael Mansour. Uh, has anybody heard of Michael Mansour? Anybody recognize that name at all? And this is kind of my point. This is, this is kind of a shame. You know, we got a lot of superheroes that we celebrate. We like Iron Man and we like Captain America and we like uh, a lot of, like, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> right there with him, like right up there. Yeah, all those guys. We celebrate them a lot. So what about a guy like Michael Monsoor? Michael, uh, in my opinion, is about as much a hero as you can possibly get. Not, not just because of... Uh, the fact that he's uh, serves as military, but it goes much beyond that. Michael was serving in Ramadi, Iraq, at a time when you did not want to be in Iraq. The time when there are loudspeakers all around the city, and there is somebody shouting, kill the Americans, kill the Americans, on the day that he is serving. And he's up on a roof. It's September 29, 2006, when Michael Mansour made the ultimate sacrifice, not just for his country, but for his two closest friends. See, the three of them were up on a roof and they were kind of looking out over the city when a grenade bounced off of Michael's chest and fell to the ground in front of him. They've investigated this scene after the fact, and they know that Michael, let's say this is the roof that they were standing on, Michael was here, his two friends were over here, and the exit was over here. So when this grenade falls at his feet, he knows in that moment that he has two options. He can escape, and he could have escaped, but that would have left his two friends to die. So instead, the option that Michael chose was to jump on the grenade, to bring it into his chest, to absorb the blast into his body, and he died as a result of it. But his two friends had only minor injuries. He sacrificed his life for someone else. One of his friends that survived that day said, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you cannot take my brothers. I will go in their stead. 
I watched the award ceremony where President uh, George W. Bush gave Michael the Medal of Honor, actually gave it to his family posthumously. And it's the only time, at least in my lifetime, that I've ever seen a president of the United States cry as he could barely make it through the story as he read Michael's, of Michael's sacrifice. Scripture tells us that the greatest act of love is giving up your life for somebody else. It's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross so that we could be set free, so that we could be free from the bondage of sin and and enslaved by the tactics of the enemy. And it's what Michael Mansour did on the roof for his two friends that day. So what's the point? Well, I think freedom, if, if we are to have freedom, then that freedom requires something of us. I think that freedom requires sacrifice because all of us love the benefits of being set free, but not all of us are willing to sacrifice so that that freedom is possible, especially those of us who don't know what it's like to not have freedom then our willingness to sacrifice for it decreases. And why? Why does freedom require sacrifice? The reality is freedom requires sacrifice because evil exists. Because evil throws grenades. Because evil attacks. There is always somebody trying to take your freedom from you. And true spirituality recognizes that there is a spiritual enemy attempting to take from you your spiritual freedom. The Satan wants to take your freedom from you. And if he can do it by misleading you, by, by telling you lies, he will do it. And usually he will do it by tempting you, by tempting you with sin. His ultimate goal is to make you a slave to sin. To be, in, to be addicted to it, to be under its control. Paul, the apostle, said to the Ephes- church in Ephesus, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies like Monso- Michael Mansour was on that roof, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. This is our battle, Christians. So we fight, but we don't fight the way the world fights battle. We don't fight with physical weapons. Paul says, so therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. When the church talks about freedom, too often we are focused on physical freedom. Our freedom Christians is much better than physical freedom. It goes much deeper, deeper. It's much more valuable to you. It's much more valuable to you in this life as it sets you free from the bondage of sin and the pain that it causes. It's more valuable to you in the next life as it allows you to enter into God's eternal kingdom. So we ask God, Set our eyes on things above, on things that are eternal. Set our minds free. Set our spirits free. But without responsibility, without taking responsibility, then that freedom eventually dies. Because freedom also requires us to be responsible. 
Because when we focus, Christians, on physical freedom, then we become self-centered. Because my life, my physical life is temporary. So it all becomes about the American dream. We end up talking about my rights and don't infringe on my rights and this is my liberty and we end up fighting a lot for our physical rights. What do we want? We want fairness. Well, as long as that doesn't mean me getting what I deserve. We want, everything, we want everybody to get what they deserve. And as a result, we underemphasize the responsibility to love that Christ tells us our spiritual freedom requires of us. Because true love is selfless, not selfish. True love gives, it sacrifices, it surrenders. Paul told the church in Galatia, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Freedom, that's the invitation, that's the Christian gift. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. The law summed up one way, love your neighbor as yourself. Love. We love to talk about what freedom gives us, but we don't talk enough about what it requires of us. Freedom requires us Take responsibility for the command that we have given to love. If we just use it however we want to, eventually freedom will hurt us. Eventually it will, that freedom will cause us pain. Jesus said to the people that were near him one day, who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, faithful to my teaching. So in other words, you don't get to pick and choose which rules you follow, which commands you follow, and which ones you don't. I can't hear the command to tithe and decide, well, I'm going to tithe my time, but not my money. I can't hear the command to love and decide, well, I'm going to love some people and not other people. I'll love the Democrats, but I'm not going to love the Republicans. No, we recognize that surrendering to God requires us to follow all of his commands, even the ones we don't like. And if we do, he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the promise. That's the gift. And I think this is really a deep concept that I don't have to, time to fully uh, explore today. But what is the opposite of sin? It's not uh, morality. It's not being good. Whenever scripture puts something in opposition to sin, it's always truth. Truth is the opposite of sin. The Satan is the father of lies, not the father of sin. Lies lead to sin, but truth leads to freedom from that sin. Jesus sets us free and scripture tells us how. How does he do it? He does it by renewing our minds, by changing our minds. In other words, telling us the truth when we were believing lies. And those lies that the world tells us, they, they lead us to believe that if I will follow my desires, 
If I will use my freedom selfishly, then I will have happiness. That is a lie. And it is the lie that leads to so much pain in our world today. The people standing around said, but we're descendants of Abraham. We're Israelites. We're Jews, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we will be set free? Now, you know the history of the Jews to know enough. They were enslaved by plenty of people, right? What do you mean you've never been slaves? Here's what they're talking about. They're not talking about physical freedom. They recognize what Jesus is talking about. They recognize the whole argument that's being made right now. And they are not saying we've never been enslaved by another nation. What they're talking about is salvation. And they are saying, because we are descendants of Abraham, because we are Jews, because we are Israelites, we are free. We have been saved. We have been set free. And Jesus is about to begin teaching them something that would eventually cause them to crucify him. He's going to say, no, it is not your family lineage. It's not your bloodline. It's not the fact that you are an Israelite that allows you to be set free, that allows you to be saved. Jesus says, you are not free because you are a child of Abraham. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, not a lie. Let's get down. Let's, what is the truth? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to that sin. In many ways, that sin ultimately will take you to hell with it. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. We're talking about God's family. But a son, however, is a part of the family forever. I love that promise. A son is part of the family forever, Jesus says. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, then you're really free. It's not because you're a Jew. It's not because of the family you grew up in. Only if Jesus sets you free are you truly free. Not if you behave correctly. Not if you follow enough rules. Not if you try harder. Not if you sin less. The only way you are set free is if Jesus does it. You can't do it alone. You are powerless. You can't resist sin. You can't be good enough. You will fail every single time. So what do we need? We need somebody else, even greater than Michael Mansoor, to sacrifice himself so that we can be free. The only way that you are rescued from the bondage that your sin requires is if Jesus saves you. He will do it. Because you don't want to be a slave. What do you want to be? You want to be a son. You want to be a part of the family. The world doesn't like this though. I don't like this line of reasoning. I want to be my own Lord. I want to be the master of my own castle. I want to call the shots. I want to do what I want to do. And if I'm a son, then I don't call the shots. At some point I have to obey. I have to follow the rules of the father. I give my sons rules all the time, and I'm pretty sure they feel like they have zero freedom at this point in their life, right? 
or in the discipline stage, like the, they feel like they have no freedom. But here's the truth. Freedom requires rules. We don't know it, but we want rules. Question. Is this, oh good, it's still alive. We're good. Is this fish free? The world, according to the world's definition of what freedom is, the world would say, no, look at all that bondage there. That fish, if you asked that fish, she'd probably say, no, I'm not free. There's a reason why I'm always swimming up against the glass because I want out. I don't want to be in here anymore. No, I am not free. So what's the solution that the world gives? Set that thing free. Fish, you are free. Express yourself. You're, it's free. We got more PETA fans in here than the first service. What, is, what, is the fish, what does the fish need? The fish needs to be home. The fish needs to be in the tank. The fish needs the boundaries of the tank. This is the only way it can actually be free. Don't take the fish out of the tank. You're killing it. Yet this is what we do to our kids. Let them be, let them express themselves. Let them become who they want to be. Let them discover themselves. This is the story of the prodigal son, by the way. You know the story, the, the prodigal son, he goes to his dad and he's like, hey, I don't like all your rules. He, he, the prodigal son goes to his dad and he says, hey, could you give me all your money? And the dad loves the son. And the dad gives his son, rum spring style, go discover yourself. And the son goes out into the world to do everything that he had fantasized about doing. He did all the drugs. He, did, he, he got with all the girls. He did all the stuff that he had fantasized about doing while he was in his father's home. And he's out in the world doing exactly what the world tells us we should do. And what did it lead to for the prodigal son? Pain, misery, anguish, the worst life. So he says, take me home. I want to go back home. Because the world looks at the rules that God gives us and they start thinking that religion, that Christianity is a bad thing. So much confinement. All that, all those rules. And to us who have experienced the freedom that those rules allow, we recognize, no, you get outside of those boundaries and it will kill you. If you break those rules, it will only lead you to pain every single time. The fish might think he wants out of the tank, but I know better. You don't. It's better than that. And that's our kingdom, Christians. When an ancient city is behind castle walls, do the walls make them more free or less free? Now, I'm sure somebody within those rules would, would say, no, I, I don't have enough room to express myself and become the person that I want to be. And 
I can't express myself when I'm dead. If I follow my way, that's where it's leading. I have to surrender. I have to say, I don't get it. I don't understand why you're telling me these things, God. I don't understand all your rules, but I will submit my knowledge and trust that maybe you know more than I do. Parents, keep your kids behind the castle walls. Protect them, guard them, teach them. Because here's the reality, Disney, and I'm, I like Disney, I'm, I'm good with Disney. But when you just follow the natural logic of our world, this is where it leads you. And so as a result, Disney is desperately trying to convince your kids to reject your instructions and do whatever they feel like doing. That's what they tell your kids. And there will be a time later that they can go out into the world and they can do some exploring and some discovering. That will come later. And that needs to happen. But while they are in your house, you are building strong walls until eventually they can go all Moana. Disney makes us emotional about this freedom moment. What happens in the movie right after this? Big waves. The pain of the world awakens her to the reality that going outside of the boundaries that her father created for her brought pain to her. Now, Disney ends up going with the story a direction I would not have chosen. But what's the whole message? She says, what's beyond that line? Should I cross that line? No, Lincoln, you will not cross the line. I built it for a reason. I put it there for a reason. You are my son. But there will come a day when my son will cross the line. With my, with, with, whether I allow him to do it or not, someday he's going to cross the line. So what's my reaction? You're outside of the kingdom. You're outside of the walls, prodigal son. You are no longer a part of this family, son. Is that my... Heck no. I love my son. So my reaction when he goes outside of the castle walls is to put the drawbridge down. And it stays down till he's home. Parents, leave the relational drawbridge down. Some of you parents have, have grown children who have gone outside of the walls and you're trying to decide how, what's best for them. Here's my advice. Leave the relational drawbridge down. You don't have to condone of all the behavior, but you have to love unconditionally. They have to know that they can come home at any time, that, that they are welcome no matter what. Come as you are. You are welcome to come home. 
because eventually the prodigal son realized this isn't working for me. I'd rather be a slave. I don't even need the freedom part. I'd rather be a slave in my father's home because he built some walls that caused some good things to happen. He built some rules that allowed some freedom in that household. And he ran home. And the father welcomed his son with open arms. Come as you are. I love you unconditionally. All your actions are secondary to the love that he had for his son. So we talk about rules, not in a way to judge anybody, not as a way to exclude anybody, but as a way of remembering that it is better, that God's way is better. It is good for us. If we want the good life, then we surrender to his way. We surrender to his knowledge, to his instructions. I don't understand. I don't get it. I I think you made some mistakes, God. I think I know better. If I'm honest, I read scripture pretty regularly and I'm like, nope, you got that one wrong. Because I'm that prideful. Somehow I think I know better than God. And so at some point I have to say, but despite my arrogance, I surrender. Freedom requires surrender. If we want God's freedom, because ultimately that's what coming back home means. If I'm going to welcome the prodigal son back home, ultimately it means you're surrendering to my kingdom. And this is what God invites us to. Come to my kingdom. Surrender to my way. Because what's the kingdom of God? We like to make it something small. Like sometimes we read scripture and we think it means kingdom means heaven. Or sometimes we read scripture and we think kingdom means the church. The kingdom is God's dominion. It's anything that he controls. And I don't know if you know how big God is, but he controls it all. It all falls under his dominion. He is in control. So you either work in accordance with the rules of the kingdom or you fail because it's the only way that works. You either follow his rules or you lose your freedom. The good news is that this great and mighty powerful king is also a benevolent king, is also a loving king. King David wrote this. For the word of the Lord holds true. True, right, correct, accurate, helpful. The word of the Lord holds true. And we can trust everything that he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love. David needed to remind us of this. Whenever we talk about truth and rules and knowledge in correct ways. What does he remind us of? The unfailing, unconditional love, the drawbridge down, come home no matter how much you rebel, love of the Lord fills the earth. The whole earth, the whole world fear. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. Doesn't this seem like a contradiction? the unfailing love, so we should fear him. Why does this love lead to fear? 
Because we, we like to think of love as this like cuddly, soft, little, weak thing. God's love is a strong love. Sometimes we make God out to be weak. He's either a genie in a bottle that I can command around with my prayers and make him do whatever I call him to do. He's weak. You follow me, God. Or we call him weak. He's like this feeble old man begging for us to follow him. And please, I just need you in my family, God. The reality is there's a little bit of truth in both of those, so they're appealing. But you remove the weak God and you insert a strong God and you get both of those invitations, yet also the one who can protect and earn your freedom that you could never earn for yourself. God is worthy of being feared. And when scripture talks about fear, it's not talking about a cowering fear. Scripture calls us to reverence, admiration of God. That's the fear we're talking about. Like the kind of fear that my son has for me, knowing that I love him unconditionally, but if he steps out of line, there is going to be some consequences kind of fear. I need my son to feel a little bit of fear of me because that fear keeps him from crossing some lines that he should not cross. God is worthy of our fear. He is mighty and he is powerful. And in his mighty power, he is unconditionally loving. David continues. For when God spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and swarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. His intentions can never. Our Wesleyan Arminian theology has a hard time with this one. His intentions can never be shaken. You think you know best? You think you're going to get your way? You just keep trying. You just can keep smacking your head against a wall. You know, it was Christianity, not the Republican Party or not the Democratic Party. It was Christianity that shaped Western civilization as we know it. It was the teachings of Jesus, not a political platform that changed the way the world thinks about things like justice and dignity. It is, he is the reason why we believe that all men are created equal. It's him. It was him that is revolutionizing love. He continues, what joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, who's surrendered to his way, who has obeyed and stayed within his rules, whose people have chosen all his inheritance. You know, we make mistakes. Do you know both uh, Republicans and Democrats have made mistakes? Do you know that? It's true. Both have screwed up. So why? Why would we ever follow man's way over God's way? Why would we follow our agenda over his perfect, flawless, never made a mistake way? He's perfect. So even when I don't understand, even when I can't comprehend, even when I disagree, I surrender. Let me introduce you to a guy named Dr. Paul McHugh. 
Dr. Paul McHugh uh, has some convictions that are difficult convictions in our world today. See, he was the chief psychologist at Johns Hopkins University, and he encountered more and more people coming to him wanting transgender reassignment surgeries. And so he was wrestling with, should I recommend these or not? And eventually he came to the conclusion that it was not having good outcomes in his patients' lives. And so he decided to do the unpopular thing and stop recommending these surgeries. And he said this, producing a satisfied but still troubled patient, somebody with whom the the core of the problem is still there, seemed an inadequate reason for surgically amputating normal organs. In other words, he was free to do something that, by the way, would have allowed him to make a lot more money and have been a lot more popular in the circles that he was running in. He was free to do something, but he chose not to do it he realized that there was some responsibility that came along with his freedom and he chose not to. We are free to do things that we should not do. Paul talks about how we are free to have things, to do things that we should choose not to do. Not everything, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Christians, we are free to judge people that are not like us people that are outside of the walls, people who don't act in accordance with what we think scripture says says they should do. But what do we know for sure? What we know for sure is that our main command is to love unconditionally. I love people. I love my neighbor. I even love my enemy. That's the whole point. Love, love people. Love your enemy. So that doesn't just mean love the rebelling prodigal son. You also love the ones who are attacking the castle that you're in. Your enemies. The ones who are actively fighting against you. Because we don't fight the way the world fights. We don't fight with physical weapons. The way we fight Christians is by changing hearts through love. The only way to change somebody's motivation is by changing their heart. So what's the bottom line? Use your freedom well. Surrender to God and his kingdom. He made you. He knows what's best. If you think that you should do one thing, but he tells you to do something different, then surrender your desire and follow him. And so here's the invitation. Is there any area of your life where you have assumed that you know better than God and you have determined to go your way rather than his? If so, surrender. Give it over to him. And if you have found yourself in a place that you are in bondage to sin, you've believed the lies of the enemy and that sin has caused an addiction and you feel enslaved today, incapable of leading yourself anymore, you got to run to him. More specifically, you got to join a life group. You got to get in a group. You got to get support. You got to get help. And you got to make it a priority. Because you can't do it alone. And then the final invitation is the biggest invitation. If you have been trying to get to God your own way, you've been trying to work there, you've been trying to be good enough, 
You've been trying to remove enough sins for your life so eventually you could receive salvation, spiritual freedom. If you've been trying to do it on your way, on your own, then you're not doing it his way because he says the only way to do it his way is to let him do it for you. Salvation is not something you earn. Salvation is something you are given. And Jesus Christ today wants to give you salvation. He is offering it to you as a free gift. Don't try to do it your own way. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to be good enough. Just surrender and say, I will receive the gift. Because when the prodigal son came home, the father did not say, okay, if you come and you work seven years and then I'll pay you these wages, what did the father say? You haven't earned a thing. In fact, you've done the exact opposite of everything I told you to do. But what was his reaction? He threw a party. He threw a feast. He gave presents. Because his love for the son was not dependent on the son's obedience. His love for the son was unconditional. And that's God's love for you. It's unconditional. It's not dependent on your obedience. You're not going to set yourself free. So say yes to him and allow him to heal you, to forgive you, and to set you free. God, I thank you that you have done what we cannot. I pray that you would give each of us the courage to go your way and not our way, to become the people you created us to be. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.